Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31 through chapter 13, verses 1 to 13. But strive for the greater gifts. I will show you still a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I uh, had an un- we had an unfortunate office issue. The copier broke uh, yesterday, and so I am going to try something new. After 25 years of paper sermons, I'm going to go digital this morning. So there's a high probability I'm going to go off script. <laughs> high probability because I'm just not going to. I'm just going to go from go with it. I was. Um, I love this passage, and we're going to unpack a little, a little bit of it today, but how many people have heard that passage before at a wedding and so forth? So there's a lot in there, and we're not going to cover it all, but I was thinking about this, and I was thinking back, because we've been in this sermon series on identity crisis and how we're formed and how our identity is formed, and there were two people that helped form my identity, that helped form who I am today, and they're my grandmother's. There, I had two, I had both uh, sets of grandparents, and I had a maternal grandmother, paternal grandmother, and my parents would occasionally go away for the weekend, and they would say, Matt and Mark, yeah, that was my brother, he'd say, where do you guys, what, you know, grandparents, you're going to your grandparents this weekend. Sometimes we had a choice, sometimes we didn't. 
And now my maternal grandmother, we really, my brother and I, we really liked going to her house because what happened when you got there is she spoiled you. I mean, she like, she, did, she was the grandmother that didn't say no. Like if you want orange soda or root beer with your dinner, you got it, right? None of this health stuff, no health food, whatever junk food you wanna eat, you get to stay up late on Saturday night. Now in the 80s, that meant staying up to watch the love boat. Some of you remember that, right? Fantasy, and, I, and so my parents didn't let us watch Love Boat. They thought, you know, and they probably shouldn't. My grandparents should not have let me watch Love Boat. I, I, that formed my preteen understanding of love, which we're seeing the passage today is not accurate. Um, and, and so these things, and so I got spoiled when I went to my maternal grandmother's house. And I loved it, and as a kid, you know, if my parents came to me and said, hey, which grandma do you wanna go to? Guess who I chose? That, where I got spoiled, where, where she did everything. And she took us to the pool, she took us to the movies, she did all these wonderful things for us, and she, that's how she loved us, right? Now, my paternal grandmother, on my dad's side, when you went to her house, there was no TV. What, what, no love boat? What, what, what are you gonna do? You could learn how to play the piano. You could do some crafts with grandma or some other things, or we would go outside, or we'd do activities that went outside, but she was constantly spending time with us and taking us places to help us learn or help us grow. She fed us great meals. The only, we had butterscotch candy every once in a while. There was a butterscotch candy, you could have one a day. I mean, this is a very different environment. You know, we went from junk food and anything you want to one butterscotch a day. We did get ice cream, Hershey ice cream with a little chocolate syrup after dinner for dessert. That was the treat, right? Everything was very uh, structured for the weekend, but there was a lot of investment in spending time with me and my brother and doing things and doing activities with us. And so when I was a kid and I had a choice, I would go, I want to go to the grandparent that will cater to me. But as I grew older and as I grew up, I began to reflect on my paternal grandmother and I would say to you today as a mature, because Paul talks about when we put childish ways behind us, when we mature, we start to see things differently. And as I look back on that, I actually appreciate what my paternal grandmother did for us. And I would say to you that my paternal grandmother probably had more to do with shaping who I am today than the other grandmother. Why is that? Because she was intentional about developing me and trying to help me be the best person I could be. She didn't cater to me, she didn't spoil me, but she loved me in a way that said, I wanna bring out the best in you. I want you to grow, I want you to learn, I want you to be the best person that God created you to be, Matt. I learned more about God from my paternal grandmother than the one that spoiled to me. And I think about that as a definition of love, right? Now those are different ways of loving and I would say both grandmothers loved me equally and loved me just as much and they had different ways of expressing it. But I would say that mature love looks beyond just saying yes and spoiling and catering to whatever the other wants. Mature love looks into the other and says, how can I bring out the best in you? And you see that in the passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You see this. Now, 
One of the things, too, that's been popular, and I recommend this book to a lot of pre-married couples as they come to me to hear about marriage and they're excited, one of the books I assign them is The Five Languages of Love. Have, have anybody mentioned, you've heard of The Five Languages of Love? I probably figure most of you have either heard of it, but here are the five languages. Uh, they're words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. These are the five love language uh, Gary Chapman put in his book, and we talk about that in premarital counseling. Now, when I, when I think about this, I think, you know, Paul said in the passage, if I can speak in the tongues of angels and have not love, right? I thought about that. You know, these are great but couldn't you do these things? Couldn't you speak these languages and still not possess the character of love? Now stay with me here. I have utterly failed at this. Can I just be honest with you? My wife's love language is words of affirmation. Have you ever traveled to a foreign country that speaks another language? and you've like studied up on your glossary of vocabulary and you've tried, and so when I travel in Latin America, I know some Spanish, but it's very, bro- I can't even string a whole sentence together in Spanish, so it's like, you know, donde es el baño, su casa, you know, I'm starting at these one word things. That's how I speak my, lo- my wife's love language. It's a broken language. She'll, she'll testify to this, right? I am horrible, right? I'm, I try. You know, this is I try when I'm in a foreign country. Feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? <laughs> but, and, and so we try and speak each other's language, but I would say that I've utterly failed at this as a husband for 20, uh, uh, wait, how many years? All right, 28 years. See, I can't even get the date right. But see what I'm saying? So why does she still love me? Why, why does she stay with me? Why does she put up with me? She, she could demand that I speak her language. Why doesn't she do that? Because I would suggest to you that there's something more to love than speaking the language. I can speak in the tongues of angels, but have not love. I'm just a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. I could do those things, but that's not the true character of mature love. I think mature love wants to speak those languages and tries to speak those languages, but that's not what it's all about. So what it's all about, because there's a higher quality, deeper quality to love that is actually explained by Paul here in this passage, and he does a great job, because, you know, here, Paul, we've learned uh, over the summer, if you were here with us for any, the messages through Ephesians, we learned that Paul is the master of the run-on sentence. He, he likes to just keep writing, right? And then yet, he writes this beautiful passage. It's, it's almost poetry, right? And so Paul writes this passage that's poetic and he unpacks love. He really describes what love is not. But I wanna zero in today on verse seven because I think that's where he gets at the quality of mature love rather than childish love that says cater to me. So here's the first thing he says in verse seven. He says that love bears all things. It bears all things. Now, we sometimes interpret this as I just gotta put up with it, right? That's not what it means. That I have to put up with your bad behavior. (laughs) I don't think that's what it's saying at all. It's not saying I gotta put up with it. In fact, I would put a warning label on love here because a lot of times we think that if I, a lot of people believe that, oh, I'm just gonna love this person no matter what, right? Which is an attribute of love. But sometimes we're in relationships that are toxic or relationships that are abusive 
right? And we need to know where to draw the boundaries and where love would say, I'm gonna protect, or love is gonna say, I'm not gonna rejoice with that evil or wrongdoing. I'm not gonna put up with that. So there's a, there's a warning label. And sometimes we interpret uh, this as, oh, I, put, I should put up with abuse. And that's not what I'm saying. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I just wanna put that out there. It's not about putting up with toxicity or putting up with abuse. I think there are times where we gotta protect ourselves and love does protect to pull away from those toxic relationships. So I would put that out there. But basically what Paul is saying is that this is a different type. What it actually means is it's, it's actually an attempt to cover over flaws. Now, it doesn't mean ignore or condone, but if you could think of it this way, that it's actually this idea of, of take love bears all things. It means that love will stretch further and cover further than the fall. So love actually rises above the brokenness, rises above the flaws, rises above the sin, rises above those things and stretches further and says, I'm gonna be greater. I'm gonna love you more than your brokenness and sin. I'm gonna love you more than that. I'm gonna stretch further and my love's gonna stretch far enough that even if you are broken, flawed, sin, that I'm gonna be able to bear it because love is driving me, not just pointing out your flaws. If you were here two weeks ago, we unpacked the passage in Genesis where Adam and Eve fall from grace, fall from the garden, they eat the fruit, and they immediately feel shame and brokenness. They've now marred the imago Dei, the image of God within them. And what does God do at the end of that passage, at that end of that fall story, is what happens is that God makes coverings for them. He bears, they were bearing all things, but he actually bears Cover, that's what this means. That doesn't mean to bear all, it means to cover over, right? To stretch over. And what God was doing was an act of love by giving them clothing <laughs> to cover their flaws, to cover their nakedness, to cover their shame. And he says, I'm gonna stretch beyond that. I'm not just gonna look at your flaws anymore. I'm gonna go beyond that. I'm gonna stretch beyond your flaws and I'm gonna love you. <laughs> Does that make sense? Do you ever feel like there are times in your family relationships or in your friendships where people are doing things and you just say, I'm gonna have to stretch love further for you, right? Can I get a witness here this morning, right? There are just moments where you just have to stretch further with your love than their hurt and their pain and their brokenness. You just gotta stretch. And that's what love does, it bears all things. And says 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins, right? That's to bear all things. Love covers over. The next thing Paul says is, believes all things. Believes all things. Now, I'm gonna call this congregation to account today. Because on Easter Sunday, there was twice as many people here on Easter Sunday, and I asked a question about belief. We were talking about belief. Do you believe? And my question was, do you believe the Mariners could go 500 this season? <laughs> Remember that? Anybody here for that one? I was, I'm calling back way back, right? And, and how many of you lifted your hands and said, yes, I believe? Yeah, maybe one or two. I'm gonna, I, you, you guys, I gotta go back, watch the tape, you guys. You go back, watch the tape. Because <laughs> literally no, I think there was one or two people said, yeah, I believe they're gonna go 500, right? You don't. If you guys don't love the Mariners, because the love believes all things, right? It, what it does is it believes the best. And so a true fan, right, 
Do you believe in the Seahawks this morning? Right, all right, good, good. You're wearing the jersey, so I, I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna, so you're, you're gonna believe, right? You gotta believe, they're 0-2, but we'll, we're just gonna keep believing the best, and that's what a fan does, right? Are we fans of other people? <laughs> do we believe the best in them? Do we believe they can do it? <laughs> do we believe in it? Love believes all things. It believes the best in the other person. It does not assume the worst. A lot of times, what we do is assume the worst, right? Uh, do you know that when there's this always what we call uh, in leadership circles, we call this gap. There's a gap in information. So anytime new, something new comes in or there's a new event or a new situation, there's, there's what our previous knowledge is and our previous understanding and then there's this new thing that happens or new situation that we face and then there's a gap, right? There's a gap between what we know and this new thing or this new information and sometimes we don't have all the information, and so when there's that gap in information in our brains, our brains are actually wired to fill in the gap. You and I will try and fill in the gap. And so I will fill in the gap with either good things or good information or good assumptions, or I can fill it in with negative things, with negative assumptions or negative belief, right? So I'll give you an example. Uh, this has happened twice now because I pull into this I pull off a third avenue here by the church quite often. And I, I stopped because there was a, a, a pedestrian in the crossway. There's a crosswalk right here on third avenue. There's two buses crosswalk. Someone was crossing the street. Then you've also got coming down the hill, not only third avenue, but there's another road parallel. You know what I'm talking about? You all been there, right? And there's another car and there, there are people don't, sometimes they don't stop. And then there's a car coming out. What's this street out here? Dravis, yeah, that one, yeah. I don't read signs. It's Seattle, I don't need to read signs, I just gotta know where I'm going. So, so when I'm coming up, so I stop there at the crosswalk for the pedestrian, the car that wants to make another turn, the car coming down 3rd Avenue, another car coming down the other road, and the traffic's backing up behind me. And you know what those turkeys do? They start honking their horn. I'm, try, I'm trying not to run people over here. I'm trying to not get into an accident, but people back there can't see what I see, right? And so they, uh, what are they doing with the gap in information? <laughs> what are they filling it in with? You get moving, right? I mean, that's it. They're assuming the worst in me as a driver, which they don't know me, so that they don't know that they can trust my driving skills, right? So I get it. But see, what, has anybody, have you ever done that? <laughs> Have you ever filled in the gap with negativity, with assumptions, with false assumptions, with bad, you know, bad assumption, bad belief, right? Love doesn't do that. Love says, I'm gonna fill that gap with the best and I'm gonna believe the best in this person or in this situation and until, at least until I can get more information, right? I'm gonna believe the best till I get more information or I'm gonna believe until I can't believe anymore. So that's part of what love does. Love attempts to fill the gap with belief for the best in that other. The other thing that love does is it hopes all things, right? Love will give the person a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. According to Jesus, a seven times 70 chance. That that's how many chances because it's always hoping the best always hoping that things will turn around, always hoping that things could get better, always hoping the best, and even if it's not the best, it hopes it's not true. 
That's the hope of love. Hope is always gonna rush in with good and to believe in the other person and to say, I want the best in you. I'm gonna hope that the best comes out of you. I, I liken it to parenthood. If, I know some of you aren't parents, but when you're a parent, you begin to hope and believe and want what is best for your child no matter what they do. That's what happens. If you remember 92, anybody remember uh, Derek Redman in the 92 Olympics. He was a 400-meter sprinter. He was running in the 400-meter event. He was a hopeful for the gold medal. He was actually running in the race. They expected him to get the gold medal. So he, the, the, shot, the gun goes off, and he begins running 150 yards into the 400... Sorry, i got to get my measurements right. 150 meters into the 400-meter race, tears a hamstring falls down to the track in pain. I mean, like he just like is full out sprint and then just collapses. Finally, he gets himself together and he gets up and he starts limping around the track. He's determined to finish the race. And then this is why we remember this event. Many people remember it because his dad climbed down out of the bleachers, fought through security, (laughs) pushed security aside, and ran to his son, right? And put his arm around him and helped him finish the race. And if you watch the video, you'll see the dad and the security keeps trying to pull them off the track and he's like, no, go away. We're finishing. I'm gonna help my son finish. I'm gonna, I hope the I had all these hopes for him, but I'm not giving up on him, right? Because that's what love does, <laughs> Love runs to the broken, (laughs) to the hurting, puts puts its arm around them and helps them limp to the finish line. And I think, isn't that what God did for us in Jesus Christ? Isn't that what God, why God sent the son? Isn't that why God sent the son? God looked at the world and saw us limping around and said, I gotta do something. I gotta get on the field. I gotta get on the track. I gotta get down to earth. And I got to do something about all the limping I'm seeing from the sons and daughters of God. So God sends the son to rush in because God hopes the best for us, wants the best for us, believes the best for us. And then here's the fourth thing Paul says. He says, love endures, endures all things, endures all things. That means it stays steadfast. It means that it doesn't give up. Love does not give up. That's how you know whether you're loved or not. Do people give up on you? You know, we've been talking about identity crisis. And I think if you remember, part of our identity crisis is when we don't fit in, when we're not loved, when people don't accept us, what happens as we go into an identity crisis? Happens in adolescence, can happen anytime in life, I think. But anytime we're not loved, that's when we feel what? We feel rejection. And when we feel that rejection, that's where we get thrown into this identity crisis. But love does not do that. Love endures, doesn't give up on the other person or the situation for all people. It keeps going. The Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 18.24 says this, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
I hope you have that friend. There's one guy that comes to my mind, a friend of mine, Rich. He's a pastor. And, and he's the guy that just never gives up on me. That no matter what mistakes I make, no matter what my failures are, no matter what, he's a friend that I can always call on the phone and say, Rich, this is going on or that's going on. And Rich doesn't give up on me. He just loves Matt, which I don't know why he does that, <laughs> but he does. Do you have somebody like that? <laughs> do you have somebody who just doesn't give up on you? <laughs> I do know you have a God that doesn't give up on you. So if you can't think of that person, know that you have a God who does not give up, a God who endures through your whole life, who will never give up on you. Because Paul says that really of all the things in the world, of all the languages and prophecies and tongues and all these things, Paul says there's a permanency to love. Love is eternal. Everything else is gonna disappear. There's a permanency to love. And I tease my wife sometimes. She told me not to tell you this illustration. <laughs> but I'm going, I'm going with it. Going off, uh, you know. So I, sometimes I tease my wife. You know, she says to me, you know, remember I'm not good at the language. Do you all remember? I just want to put that disclaimer out there. Words of affirmation, right? So she says to me, I love you. Now the appropriate response is what? Good, very good. So ignore my example. You already know what to do. And, and I'll say that, right? I'll say I love you too. But sometimes when I'm in my, you know, I like to tease my family sometimes. And when I'm in kind of a humorous mood, she'll say I love you. And I'll say, we'll see. I guess I shouldn't have used that, right? She was right, no. Now, I wanna point out that I'm theologically correct in my answer. <laughs> Let me just dig my grave a little bit deeper. But here's my point, don't do that, right? Don't do that. Wives, don't do that. Husbands, don't do that. Single people in relationships, don't do that. But what am I saying in my teasing of her, in my playfulness, is I'm saying is that there's a permanent, we both know there's a permanency to love. And what I'm saying is, I know you'll love me if you're there when I'm 65, when I'm 70, when I'm 75. Will you be there when I pass away or will I be there when you pass away? If we're there at that moment, we'll have been testifying to the permanency of love. That's what marriage is about. <laughs> marriage says, you know, we take vows when we get married and we say, for better for worse. You see, it's easy to love when things are better. <laughs> but will you be here when things are worse? Is there a permanency to your love? Do you have a kind of love that will endure all things? That will believe all things, bear all things, hope all things for that other person that will endure all things? That's permanent. You see, I think that's the character of mature love. The character of mature love versus childish love is love's ability to stay in the game, the ability to jump on the field when things aren't good and jump in when we need to. That's what love does. That's the character of love. You know, as we think about, I wrap up this identity crisis series, I think here's what I would suggest, here's what I invite you to. We can identify in so many different ways and 
and we can't change our past, we can't change our backgrounds, we can't change our experiences, which actually shape how we fill in the gaps. But here's what my hope is for us. As we allow our identity to be formed and shaped in life, here's what I would ask us to consider as our, as our, our identity. That our identity would be shaped by a faith in God who made us and loves us and values us. That our faith, because this is really our, is our identity defined by our faith, hope, and love, that our faith in God who made us and values us, that's out where we're putting our faith and in the image of God within us, a hope in Christ who can make us whole. We talked about that last week. That when I put my hope in Christ, when I follow Jesus, I actually can become the whole person that God created me to be, that I can live into the image of God that God planted in each of us. And then lastly, after today, in a life defined by love for other people. All of us, it's very, I would say it's highly probable that all of us will die. You know, with, with, with bo- freezing bodies and everything, you know, I'm gonna just say highly probable, right? You got that, thanks for that. But what I'm saying, what we're saying here is that all of us are gonna have a funeral or a memorial service one day. And I've been to a lot of them for some reason. And I hear the stories, I hear the testimony to people's lives. And we somehow try and take, and I've said this before and it's worth mentioning again, but we take this person's life and we try and sum it up in an hour, which to me just doesn't seem altogether correct. (laughs) But we do it, you know, we need to do it. But when I listen to the stories, when I listen to people, how they identify the person that passed away, I don't hear a resume. I, I don't hear about their church membership. I do hear a little bit about maybe some of their accomplishments or things, but that's not the heart of what people say. You know, I, I don't hear about um, their gender or all these other identities that we put on ourselves or label ourselves. I don't hear about the labels. You know what I hear about? How they loved. Like, Every story is about how that person loved somebody else. (laughs) Or in some examples, I have to say, or didn't. Or there's hurt or there's pain or there's grief because they weren't loved by that person. So it goes both ways. But I want you to think about that, that as you live your life from this point on, will it be defined by how you love people? Will your identity be centered around how you love other people? So that when you come to that day at the end of your life that people define you by your love. God is love. You and I are created in the image of God. You got it? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are a God of love who bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things with us. That you are the good God who sent the Son and sent the Holy Spirit to work within us, to love us, to value us, to help heal us, to make us whole again, to help us discover the image of God in us that calls us to love others and to love you, God.
And so we pause to say thank you for loving us, for saying we matter, and for enduring with us. We give you thanks today in Jesus' name. Amen.